We're going to read from John's, John's Gospel. We're going to read the 19th chapter, the 15th through the 27th verse. In, in preparing our sermons <coughs> for you, um, one of the challenges we have in, in the Gospels, especially in John, is how do you break apart the Gospel in its story about Christ in such a way that you can preach on a certain section of the Scriptures? And so as we rise this morning and we stand while we read the Scriptures, and please join me in standing one of the things to remember is that this story is not just these particular verses. It includes everything that has come before and everything that comes after the verses that we're reading. And so in light of that, this morning we're focusing on the crucifixion of Christ. And we read in John's Gospel, as we begin reading in chapter 19, verse 15, this is the word of God for us this morning. And I'd ask that you draw your attention to it. But they shouted, Take him away! Take him away. Crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Asked Pilate. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And there they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. A pilot had, notice, had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross, and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign for, for the place where Jesus was crucified near the city, was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews. But this man claimed to be king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. And when the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one place or one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. Now, this happened. John writes, that the scriptures might be, fulfilled, might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there, he and the disciple whom he loved, standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. This is the word of God. Won't you be seated? <coughs> I, I don't know about you, but I hate things that are hidden especially when they're in plain view. We have a problem in our house. 
where I go looking for something and I'll look for at least maybe 30 minutes. Have, have you had this problem? You'll look for it for 30 minutes and then, then you'll ask someone in your home, well, where is this? And they'll say, well, it's right here. And it was right in front of your eyes the whole time. You ever had that problem? I, I hate that feeling. Uh, it, it happens every once in a while in my home. It happened this morning. It happened last Thursday. It's not that I'm keeping track, by the way. It, 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 it's happened so often that there are many times where I am aware that I go through life and I am unaware of what is happening or where things are, especially my glasses. The older I get, the worse they are, right? Well, this morning as we read this scripture, some of you have probably read the story of Jesus' crucifixion thousands of times, but you have forgotten that there is always something that God teaches us when we open the scriptures once again. That God has a message for you this morning from this scripture, and it deals with the fact that your worship of Christ may be going through such a remote kind of habitual practice this morning that you may have missed him as you walked in. You see, we, wor we worship a living God, not a dead God. We worship a Lord who is at work today in your life. He cares about you and leads you in the ways of righteousness for his namesake. That's what the scripture says. And so as you and I deal with this chapter, here's some things that I really want to point out to you this morning that are important as we think about the crucifixion and begin preparing for Easter in this season of, of what? This season of what? Sadness? No, we rejoice. What are we rejoicing over? Well, this morning, this, this particular passage is a lament in so many ways because it deals with the sadness of the crucifixion of Christ but we want to rush to the glory of his resurrection. Well, let me tell you, you can't get to the glory of Jesus being raised from the dead and ascending high in the heavens without first understanding the suffering that he did on the cross. In fact, when you go through the New Testament and you look at the teaching the apostles give us, it says that they had an understanding of the cross, that it was through the cross that our victory is secure. Not through the resurrection. It was through the cross that sin was paid for. Not through the resurrection. That the resurrection was an indication of the life that Christ gives at his coming into our hearts. But he is able to come into our hearts because what separated us from God, which was our sin, has been paid in its full, full and entire payment. Isn't that incredible? Are you falling asleep? Nudge your neighbor quick. Say, wake up. Don't miss it. Well, here's some things I would like to, you to think about. First of all, please notice what John doesn't tell us. Well, when you say, well, how do you know what John doesn't tell us? Well, if you go to the other Gospels, you will see that though all four Gospels go through what it took for the trial that led Jesus to the cross, that story of his suffering is all there. It may be slightly different in its telling, adding one element or another, but the most interesting part about John is what he doesn't choose to tell us while the others do. Why is that so important? Well, he puts it this way. Go back to verse 15 and look very carefully. He says that after they shouted, take him away and crucify him, in verse 17 they, oh, excuse me, in verse 16 it said, Pilate handed them him over to be crucified, so the soldiers took charge of Jesus. You say, well, that's 
that's descriptive. We, we think of someone being arrested, right? Uh, I don't know of many of you who have been arrested. I haven't lately, thank God. But as I have been on the road watching some other people drive in the community, I've wondered where are the police when you need them? Because there's a real obvious truth that when we see something wrong, we expect the authorities to show up and make it right. But here, the authorities are showing up and they're assisting in doing what is heinous. And it's all part of God's plan. What plan is that? That plan that Christ would come and give himself for us. That's the whole reason we have been studying the Gospel of John these last how many months now? Have you even bothered to read the Gospel as we have gone through it week by week? Have you even bothered to understand what Christ has been teaching about what it means to follow him in these days that we live? I hear people clucking their, their tongue and snapping their fingers asking themselves, what's happened to our world and our nation? It's not a surprise what has happened to our world and our nation. This is what the world is like without God. The scriptures dig dig out for us what it is like to follow God. And so if you're becoming discouraged by what you see happening in the world, could it be that you haven't been focusing on what God is doing because it's been hidden to you? The most amazing thing is when Jesus was handed over to these men, this handing over involves something much more awful, than anything John tells us. In fact, Jesus had already been flogged when he went before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders. Now he was going to be beaten. You see, there were three forms of punishment the Romans dealt for those who were, who were breaking the Roman laws. That it was first called a fustagio, that is a, a severe form of, of beating where basically someone was spanked. I remember when my dad would spank me. He never would tell me, go get a branch. He would use his hand. And I want you to know, he never spanked hard. I think it hurt my dad more than it hurt me. I'll, I'll just give you an example. I, I had stolen some cigarettes from my granddaddy. I know, I know, if you'd known this about me, you wouldn't want me to be your pastor. But that's okay. If I'd known things about you, I wouldn't want to be your pastor either. You see, this is a church for people who have sinned and been broken, not for people who do everything right. If you're one of those people, you don't need to be here. You need to be on a golf course. But if you need forgiveness, you need to be here. I stole a pack of cigarettes from my grandfather, and I went into the bamboo that were growing behind our house, and I started seeing if I could smoke one. I didn't even know how to light one. And, and lo and behold, my mother, my mother came out the back door. Why do mothers do that? They always get in the way at the right time. She came out the back door, grabbed me, and said, What are you doing? Where did you get those? Get in the house. I couldn't answer any questions she gave. The last thing she said is, Go to your room and wait till your dad gets home. And sure enough, when dad got home, I was shaking like a leaf. And as he took me into the bedroom, my mother stood there and watched him spank me and said, you're the dad, you must do it. And so as he bent me over, he reached up and he swung his hand, but when he hit my bottom, it barely flinched. And I was like, oh, thank you, Jesus. 
You see, the punishment, the real punishment was the fact that I got caught and I had to wait on my father to get home. My dad told me later, he said, I just didn't have the heart to hurt you because in all honesty, I could tell the lesson was learned. Well, there was a punishment the Romans dealt for people who had broken laws. They were, they were kind of like, like a slap on the wrist. But that wasn't what Jesus received. Not from these men. There were four of them, by the way. Four of them. There was also the next level, which called it was the flagellatio. It was a brutal flogging. It could involve slapping of the face or punching, maybe even in the stomach or, or some other part of the body. But it never brought severe broken bones or contusions that could not be healed from quickly. No, no, the, the word that John uses, or I should say the gospel uses, and John tells us about, is that that word where Jesus was severely beaten, it's a berberato, it is literally that kind of punishment where something like a whip was taken with crusted bones weaved into leather. And one soldier would stand on one side and they would hang the man from a pole where his arms would be stretched all the way to the top and bound and his back would be pulled tight and taunt from the skin and they would take this whip and they would just as hard as they could go into his back from his backbone and come back out the side. And with every one of those beatings, the skin would be broken, cut by the bone, pummeled by the weights, and beating after beating after beating, blood would begin to ooze out. Now, why did they do this? Because it was the first step of crucifixion, and that was to beat the person to the point they were bleeding so badly they would not be able to survive the cross. Many, many who had gone through this kind of scourging never made it to the Why doesn't John tell us this? Because he wants you to focus on this. It wasn't to be beaten that Jesus came. It was to be the one who would give himself for your sins. Because sin and what it does to us is worse than any flogging we could receive. What is sin? Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. It involves our senses, our thoughts, our feelings. John tells us in the first letter that he wrote, right before the, right before the book of Revelation, that sin is evident in three categories in human nature. It is the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. God, I don't need you. I don't need anyone. I am my own person. Don't tell me how to live. Do you know that's why the Russians are now invading the Ukraine? Do you know that's why Hitler led a nation of Germans who were Christians into a world war? Do you know why that's people right now have a greater debt of credit card debt than in the history of our nation? Sin. It's destroying us. You don't have to go far to turn it on the TV and see it on the news, hear it on the radio, 
Witness it in your neighborhood. This sin that is enveloping the world is destroying us. And the only one who can remove it is God. He must either judge it or redeem those who commit it. And how can he do that except through Christ? The most amazing thing is that John omits the fact that, Amer- that Jesus was so cruelly beaten that when he was finally put on a board, and, and there's real debate about what happened. There were two crosses used in that day to hang those who were crucified, and it was a common form of torture. There was a beam that was put out that was called, and I want to pronounce it right, the pedibulum, the pedibulum, and it literally was a beam that was put down and the person was tied to it with their arms stretched out. And then they would have to carry that beam through the city to the place where they would be crucified. And most likely, from what we can understand archaeologically, the, the post that held that beam was already planted in the ground. And so the, the person of Jesus, severely beaten, is, is now reclothed with a crown of thorns placed on his head, and he's marched through the city carrying this beam where he's tied to it, literally, trying to get to the place where they will hang him from it. And as he is walking, he is stumbling because he doesn't have any strength. And in going to that place, it tells us that before he could get out of the city of Jerusalem, he fell exhausted with no other ability to move. And that's when the other Gospels tell us that this person from Cyrene was was not asked, told by the Romans to pick up the cross and carry it for Jesus. Do you know that that's what the New Testament teaches you and I? Take up the cross and follow me. Well, what does the cross represent? It represents a denial of something but an embracing of something else. What does that mean? Well, we'll get to that. But as you and I look at this whole business of what John didn't say, one of the things that he allows us to see is that as Jesus was being marched to Calvary, which means a place of the skull, it comes from the Latin, John does tell us that this Jesus, this Jesus was the king of the universe, but he was hidden from everyone who saw him. You think, well, how was he hidden? How could someone be hiding behind what happened? Well, interestingly enough, it says that he was marched out in verse 18 and 19, and he was hung between two criminals. And I want you to know, if you and I had been there, we probably would have thought, man, that guy probably deserves that. He probably deserves every bit that he's getting. I was reading the other day about a young boy in, in high school who had a teacher's assistant take away a Nintendo's toy from him while he was in school, and the young boy got so angry, he ran out of the classroom after this teacher's assistant, ran straight to the woman, knocked her off her feet, and started beating her to a pulp. And I thought to myself, man, if I'd have been there, I would have shot him. If I'd have been there, I would have lassoed him with a, with, a, with a rope, and I would have tied him up. I would have hogtied him. You ever had seen, seen somebody hogtied? 
you put their hands behind their back and their feet and you tie them all together and you just let them wriggle right there. And there was a sense in me that that was just, that that was what should be done to someone who would do such a heinous thing. And if you had been walking by that day into the city of Jerusalem and you would have saw these three men hung on the cross, you would not have thought it was the Son of God. You would have thought that guy deserves it because Jesus was hung besides two criminals. And they were being crucified as well. He was hidden from them not only because of that, but it tells us amazingly, it tells us that Pilate, that even though he was against crucifying Jesus, went ahead and did something that no one wanted him to do. He wrote on a placard that was probably hung over Jesus as he walked through the city, which read, King of the Jews, which was an indication, this is why he's being killed. Because he says he's the king of the Jews. That's what the Jews wanted him to say. No, Pilate, say he thought he said he was king of the Jews. Pilate said, no, he's the king of the Jews, and I wrote what I wrote. But notice it says that he wrote it in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. What's the big deal about that? Most of you have never taken Greek, have you? Much less, I remember high school Latin. I had a, a woman from New Jersey who taught me high school Latin. My grandfather thought that was the funniest thing he'd ever heard, having someone with a northern accent teaching a southerner Latin. And then there's Aramaic. What, what, what in the world is Aramaic? Well, Aramaic was the language that was spoken in the area that Jesus lived. In fact, we think that many of his sermons were in Aramaic. But Latin was the language of the military. Those who were involved with, with making sure the laws of Rome were held up. And get this, Greek was the common language of the day, much like English. You can almost go in any place in the world today and find someone who can help you with English. They know enough English to help you understand what they are doing in their own country, their own language. And in the midst of that, with all of that translation plain before anyone's eyes Jesus was hidden from them it goes on to tell us not only was Jesus hidden it goes on to say he was a king who suffered now this is going to really open your eyes and I challenge you as we get into the season of Easter if you really want to know what Jesus did for you go to Psalm Psalm 22 because it is there that in Psalm 22 that, Pete, that John begins to reveal for us the mind of what, so, what someone suffers when they go through what Jesus has gone through. It's a psalm of David. It's a psalm of David. And in that psalm, one of the things you find, excuse me, one of the things you find is that psalm of David speaks about the condition of someone mentally and emotionally in what they're facing when they have been abandoned. Now, I want you to know that there are many of you who have gone through abandonment in your life. You've been abused. You have been, you have been misused by others. You have been, you have been abandoned in such ways that, that someone came into your life, whether you trusted them because they were a parent or a grandchild or an uncle, or you had someone come into your life who made promises to you and suddenly they are gone and you feel the lowest point of your life. You are suffering. You're thinking, why do I want to go on and live? Why even face tomorrow? 
And in that Psalm 22, you find these words beginning with verse 1 through 8. It says, My God, my God, why have you, fors- why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the cr- my cries of anguish. This is David writing about this song in the Old Testament. And as he's writing this song, he is suffering because he's trying to follow God. And in following God, he knows he's going to be appointed as king of Israel. But in the appointment of king, that is nowhere near to be seen because he's being hunted by a man named Saul who is now presently king and wants to kill him. And in that psalm, John, writing his gospel, wants you to reach back to that moment and pull into the present moment of Jesus' crucifixion the emotional suffering that he was going through at the moment the Son of God was taking upon himself our sin, which separated him from the Father. Because until that moment, Jesus and the Father were one. They were united. Jesus did whatever the Father said. And even to this point, Jesus was doing what God had asked. And the most amazing thing is that this was God's plan for him. Isaiah 53 says he was a man we shouldn't want to look at. And yet God, it was God's perfect will that he would suffer for us. My God, I cry out day and night, but you do not answer. By night I find no rest, yet you have been enthroned as the Holy One. You are the, you are the one Israel praises. In, in, in you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. You, you, to you they cried out and were saved. In, in, in you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm. I'm not a man, I, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults at me, shaking their heads. And you know what they say? He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him. Do you know that's exactly the words that were spoken, paraphrased at the cross? Why? Why Why would Jesus have to suffer like this? In, in the Muslim faith, they look at this and they think we have corrupted the text of Scripture because they cannot believe that Jesus, the Son of God, would suffer on the cross. We don't want to believe it either, do we? The truth is the reason he suffered was for you. Because God said because the scriptures say that God placed upon him all of the wrath that we were that was reserved for us. God placed it on Christ. Now think of this. Remember we talked about sin, any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. It involves the lust of our flesh, the lust of our eyes, the pride of life. Whenever we have broken, sinned against God, disobeyed the Lord, We deserve the ultimate punishment, and that is death. You look around this world and you see what's happening. Do you really think that God is not going to punish the world for these sins? 
I was listening to a, a, a famous, um, I don't want to say the person's name because I don't want you to think I'm some rabid, crazy person who watches conspiratory, uh, uh, conspiratory programs on TV. But I was actually listening to this person, very reputable reporter, who had on the news that night a person talking about what's going to happen after the war in the Ukraine and Russia is over. Because we know there has been tremendous atrocities. We know that children have been murdered, raped. We know that women have been abused. We know we have evidence of what has happened and transpired because of this war. And the question the reporter asked is, will there be justice? Will the leader of the Russian country be brought to justice for his actions? And the, the person said, well, we have the evidence. It will be a matter of whether we're able to carry it out. And I thought to myself, oh, no, oh, no, he won't get off that easy. Oh, no. He will have to stand before God. And so will you. And so will me. You see, we cannot know the glory of the resurrection until we know the depth of the sin that we have committed against the Lord and the judgment that God gives concerning it. In American Christianity, we have built God into being our friend, our buddy. He is not. He is the Lord God Almighty. Open the gates, ye people, and allow him in. Worship him. And acknowledge that he is God. But you see, that is the real sin of the world, isn't it? We don't want to acknowledge him as God. And the most amazing thing is that it is hidden even today for us. Because we, we truly look at this world and we think to ourselves, well, why does God tarry? Why? Because he suffers and he calls you and I as Christians to suffer in this world for the gospel of Christ, for Jesus Christ himself. What does it mean to suffer for him? It means to feel abandoned at times. To ask God, where are you? What are you doing? God, do you care? And notice how in that passage in chapter 22 of Psalms, where even on the cross, he cries out and he says, yet... In verse 3, you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. And in you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted in you and you delivered them. You, to you they cried out and were saved. And in you they trusted and were not put to shame. But isn't that what Jesus did for us in the cross? Through his suffering he has given us Reason to rejoice in the deliverance that he gives, the forgiveness he offers and bestows. It's exactly what the scriptures say. And so as you and I begin to wrestle through this, it really is quite amazing because this suffering involves so much more. What time is it? Oh my goodness, I'm out of a time. There's so much more to say about this suffering that Christ has done for you. Not only was he abandoned 
Not only was he spit upon, not only was he cursed, not only was he, he derided and made fun of, The Apostle Paul says, yet for the joy of the cross, he went there. What joy that in his delivering himself of sin and the wrath that we deserve would be paid in full. Do you know we live in an entitlement society today? Do you know what that means? It means that most people think they deserve forgiveness. I have talked to people who were in the midst of adultery or fornication or living lives where they were so far from God but claimed to be followers of Christ that when you ask them, well, wait a minute, what about this sin? This is so obvious. This can't be pleasing to God. They immediately say, well, I know God will forgive me. And I'm thinking, how cheap grace must be to them. How cheap. In fact, that was penned by a Presbyterian pastor long ago, cheap grace. What, what is cheap grace? It is understanding what Christ did in giving himself for us, but then refusing to be conforming our lives to his will. Let me tell you something. Husbands, if you're married and you have a wife, you are called to suffer for your wife. What does that mean? You are called to love her with a utter abandonment. You are to care for her as if you were caring for the most precious thing in your life. And you say, you say, well, if she acted like she was deserving of it, I would do that. Well, let me tell you, the Bible doesn't give you that choice. It says, husbands, love your wives. And if you're married women and you look at your husband and you cluck your tongue and say, well, if, if he would just smarten up, if he'd get a brain, you know, if he'd just listen to me, you're forgetting where the Bible teaches us wives respect your husbands. Honor them. Appreciate who they are. You see, this is the transformation that God seeks from this church. This is why the American church has become so weak. It's because we who profess faith in Christ have hidden Jesus from the world because we have said we love Jesus but then we're not careful to keep his commandments. Now, I don't mean to indict anyone here. I want you to know I'm preaching to myself. If that fits you, get behind me. But you see, the, the tremendous message of the cross is that I come to die to myself and live for Christ. Isn't that what Jesus said? For I no longer live, but I, I have crucified. I've been crucified with Christ. Yet, yet I live. Yet not I, but it is Christ who lives within me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's exactly what Mary, Jane, Mary James wrote for us in the hymn, the second hymn we sang. All for Jesus. Did you hear the hymn? Did you even sing it? Did you listen to the words? Tremendous theology of the cross. That we are not called to come to church to please ourselves. We're called to come to church to learn how to please Christ. To love Him passionately, severely, completely. 
I dare say the first that will be judged by Christ will be the preachers in the pulpit. I dare say so. The ones who proclaim this word will then have spouses that feel like they're second-class citizens. You better wake up. Maybe I should wake up. Could somebody pinch me? Cindy says she will. (laughs) Here's the joy. You cannot know the glory of the resurrection until you know the suffering that comes because of sin and the willingness that Christ gave to pay for each and every sin. Tony Campolo, who was a professor of sociology in a famous institution of higher learning years ago wrote a book and he talked about one night being at a being at a, a diner because he had to work at a job before he got his degrees where he he had become a Christian and he decided he he needed to work hard to perf- to improve his life so he was earning money in order to go on through his education but after his work was over in the evening he'd go to a diner at night and at night he would go to that diner because it really was the only place open and it was open after 12 o'clock at night. And so as he would go into that particular place and eat meal after meal, night after night, he would hear and get to know the regulars that would come in, and, and you can guess who they were. They weren't people who were like us. They were people who were night owls. They were people who were street walkers. They were prostitutes and pimps. They were people who were drug addicts. And so as they would come in, he would just by listening get to know the names of these people. And there was one one woman name, and I'll call her Trixie, would come in, and she would, she would come in exhausted after working herself through her, her evening, calling on the Johns or, uh, or making sure that her customers were satisfied, that she would come into this place and she would order a meal, and the rest of them would gather and they would talk and laugh and compare notes. And as Com- Tony Campolo would sit there, he would listen to their lives and he would just begin to wonder, God, how can I reach them with the love of Christ? What could I do? One night, Trixie didn't show up. One night, she didn't show up to the meal, and everybody was wondering, well, where's Trixie? Where is she? wonder where she is. Someone said, I think she's sick. She went home. I said, I really feel for Trixie. She said, you know, she's, she's gone through such a tough thing in her life, and, and I'm wondering if there's anything we can do. And she said, well, someone said, I heard her birthday is next week. And suddenly, Tony piped up, and he said, her birthday's next week? And all of them looked at him and said, yeah, what's it to you? And he said, well, I I, I thought maybe, uh, you know, I've been coming here with y'all every night eating supper. And after I get off work, I just just thought maybe we could buy her a cake and and have a birthday party. One of the other women said, that's a great idea. Why didn't I think of that? And the others piped in, I can get, I can get candles, I, I'll get some party favorites. Well, well, yeah, let's do that. Let's have a great time. Let's do that for Trixie. That's great. And so all those women who, who were planning this suddenly just completely forgot about him, and they walked out, and they were so excited because they had a plan on how to, how to celebrate Trixie's birthday. And the chef came over, the chef, the, yeah, you know who he was, don't you? short order cook came over to Tony and said, okay, bud, what's your angle? He said, what do you mean? 
What do you want from these women? What are you after? Don't you know what a hard life they've had? Don't you have any compassion for them? Who are you to come in here and try to get into their lives like this and use them like you've been used all this evening? And he said, no, but no, no, you, you've got it wrong. I said, well, what do you want? He said, I just want to, just want Churchy to know that God loves her. So you want, you want Trixie to know God loves her? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's it. That's all I'm after. I, I'm a Christian. I believe that Jesus loves people, and, and he came to die for their sins, and I, I'd like her to know that. And the guy was stunned. He said, where have you learned this? He said, I learned it at church. Short order cook looked at him and said, where do you go to church? I want to go with you next time. People don't care how clean your life is. People don't care about the pretense of how you look on the outside. People know that you suffer. The question is, do you suffer because you don't know what God is doing? Or do you suffer because you do know what God is doing? And you're ready to follow him no matter what. You see, that's the message of the cross. Jesus doesn't come and tell us, come and believe in me and I'll have you a big house and a beautiful yard and a wonderful life and your children will grow up and go to Harvard or Yale. Or Davidson. You won't have to worry about paying your bills. Your marriage will always be great. Jesus didn't come for people like that. He came for people who were broken by sin. He came for people who have really screwed up. He's able to give it. Now get this. Jesus is able to forgive because he has borne in his body the wrath that we deserve. So that as you repent of your sins and turn and believe in him and follow him and obey him, you begin to have Abundant life, Jesus said. The amazing thing is that's the message Jesus preached in the earlier chapters of the Gospel of John we've been studying. That was the message he preached. And it was the reason he was hung on a cross. Crucify him! Father, forgive us when we become more concerned with the color of the walls of the church than the, the souls that walk among us. 
Forgive us when we come to the place in our lives when we are more concerned about being comfortable than counting the cost of what it would mean to name the name of Jesus. It, it just it shocks me, Lord, that when, when Paul writes in his letters that he says that the gospel is foolishness for those who are perishing. I think about all the smart people in the world, all the people who have all the money, all the fame, all the prestige, and they don't believe in Jesus. That they look at Christians the way the Romans did, and they laugh at Christians because they say to themselves, these people worship a dead God who was hung on a cross like a criminal. And yet you're still worshipped. And Paul says that the foolishness is not with those who believe in this Jesus. It is those who don't. That the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And so as we pray this morning, Father, awaken in us this Easter season. Stir within my soul. Help me to understand the depths of my sin and the cost he paid on the cross so that in turning from my sin to Christ, I might know the tremendous power of the forgiveness and the theology of the cross. That I might suffer in his name in this world. That I might be unashamed of the gospel. That I might be unashamed of Jesus. No matter what people say. How people look at me. What opinion they have. In the words of Mary, James, all for Jesus. And I want to confess to you, Lord, my heart vacillates back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Save me. We ask and we pray it in the name of Christ our Lord. And the people of God said together.